pray. Lord, again we say, take me, mold me, use me, fill me. We give our life to the potter's hand. Call us, guide us, lead us, walk beside us. For we do give our life to the potter's hand. Amen. I've been associated with sports and athletics my entire life, starting in grade school, playing just about every sport you can imagine, and playing in high school and college, and getting out of college, ending up being a basketball coach for nearly 20 years. And even to this day, most of you know that I've spent 25-plus years at the College World Series, Baseball World Series up in Omaha, I'm looking forward to my second year at the NAIA Division II Men's National Basketball Championships coming up at the College of the Ozarks. Not everybody can do it, but I can. 31 games in six days. I love every minute of it. One thing that I really like about sports, though, are comebacks. Comebacks. And it's when a team is down late in the game and they gradually begin to rally and are able to finally kind of snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, I'm not sure that there's anything better in all of sports. Now, in football, if you have followed that, a comeback not only involves a battle against an opponent, it's also a battle against the clock. How many of you watched the Baltimore-Denver game yesterday? I mean, it was a last-minute victory by the Baltimore Ravens where they literally snatched victory, what looked like defeat, in beating the heavily favored Denver Broncos. I'm going to talk about another sport, baseball. Baseball, on the other hand, has an advantage over football, believe it or not, because there's no clock in baseball. You can never get too far behind to win as long as you've got at least one more at bat. In baseball, you can't coast out. You know, when you've got a big lead, the opposing pitcher just can't kneel down on the mound and let the clock run out. You know, no lead is safe. No loss is certain until that final out. And in this sense, baseball is a whole lot like life. Now, we're in part two of this little series. We're going to be looking at the same passage three weeks in a row. You heard it again today, Jeremiah 18. It's called Shaping Things to Come. We're going to spend three weeks on a single story about the potter. <clears throat> and this, this series really shows us how to make our future what it can be. Now, last week we talked about how life is not just a series of random events. But rather, we need to remember what? The potter is at the wheel. He can redesign any mess we have made in life and turn it into a masterpiece. That is, if we're willing to be redesignable. The song we just sang, I, I really wanted to use the video today, but I still haven't quite conquered out how we're going to be able to do that. But I did post that song on the church Facebook page. And the interesting thing is, as they sang that song, there's a man at the potter's wheel taking a lump of clay and turning it into a beautiful container. Well, this week we're going to go a little bit deeper into the story. 
And we're going to look at the importance of playing till the final out. And there are three messages in these verses that I want you to see today, and we're going to take a look at them. And the first message is this. It's never too late to turn things around. Never too late to turn things around. In verse 7 of our text, it says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up, break down, destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Now, I don't know whether or not you have ever heard some of the television preachers preach doom and gloom, particularly doom and gloom over the United States. It really bugs me when I hear some of them uh, preaching God's judgment on America as if it's some sort of a done deal. But you know what? It's not a done deal. What's worse, I've heard people condemn certain individuals as if God's judgment on them was a done deal. Guess what? It's not. No matter how bad of a sinner you think a sinner might be, God's judgment is never a done deal yet. Even worse than that, I have heard people, some people who have actually called themselves Christ followers, assume a condemnation on themselves as if God's judgment on them was a done deal. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Oh, man, I committed this sin and God's going to get me for this one. God's going to get even with me. Or, I got saved, but, you know, I backslid and, and there's no point in trying anymore. It's too late. Well, friends, I'm here to remind you that based on what God has to say in His Word, uh, that it's not too late. There's always time to turn things around. Now, a good example of this, I'm thinking we preached a whole series on, on, on this book of Jonah. Remember when uh, God sent Jonah to Nineveh? And he said, go to Nineveh and I want you to preach. And his message was really pretty simple. The message was this. You've got 40 days before God's judgment comes to this city. In other words, 40, which is the number of completion. You've got enough time to turn it around. Well, now, what happened? <coughs> what happened was the entire city of Nineveh repented and God relented. There was no judgment. Now, I want to suggest you that works not only for nations. It works for cities. It even works for individuals. If you'll just turn away from your sin, turn your eyes to Jesus, which is called repentance, you can change the course of your life and you can change the outcome of your life. You change the whole direction of your life. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, a while back, a friend of mine was telling me about his father-in-law. His father-in-law, by his own estimation, was kind of a bum, a scoundrel, a crook, whatever you want to call it. He owns a rather large lumber yard in a couple of cities up north, and he was always kind of on the verge of bankruptcy. And the reason he was always on the verge of bankruptcy was because he spent just about every spare dime he had on uh, booze and women. But he was in church every Sunday morning. Now, my friend actually despised his father-in-law because he treated his family so thoughtfully, thoughtlessly, and he said, and on top of that, he was nothing more than just one big religious hypocrite. He sat in church as if nothing was wrong. 
But then at about age 54, 55, he said his father-in-law had a come-to-face-with-Jesus time. God got a hold of him and through some really great process, turned him around. Jesus grabbed him and he started off in a brand new direction. Now, he lived about another 15 years and he went from a net worth of in the minuses and almost bankrupt to being quite comfortable financially and leaving his family uh, pretty well prepared when he died. But most of all, he said, you know, my father-in-law, in spite of where he had been for the majority of his life, left a legacy behind of being a loving husband, a loving father, a loving grandfather, and a genuine, honest-to-goodness spiritual leader in his church. Now, I tell you that story because if you've ever thought, it's too late for me, or I've had this habit too long, or I've been this way all my life, and I hear that a lot, that's just the way I am. You know, I've never had victory in this area. I have failed over and over again. It's just too late for me. I'm never going to change. You know, the leopard can't change his spots, all that nonsense. I want you to know, God's Word says it's never too late. And actually... I have a test that you can do right here and now to show you that it's not too late for you. You want to do this? Take these two fingers like this. Kind of like the Cub Scout oath. This is the Boy Scout oath. This is the Cub Scout. Okay. Put those two fingers on the inside of your wrist (laughs) and hold it there for a second. Now, if you feel a pulse, you qualify. You qualify. It's not too late for you. You can turn around whatever situation there is in your life. Your future is written in clay. It's not written in stone. I mean, and there's still time to change life's directions. That's message one when you come to Jeremiah 18. It's never too late to turn around. And I'd say, so don't give up on some people. And I know some of you have probably done that. You have given up on relatives. You've given up on your children. You've given up on your parents. You've given up on your neighbors. You've given up on people in school. You've given up on them. Don't give up on them. It's not too late. I mean, you got until the last out to bring the Word of God to bear in their lives. Here's number two. Number two is this. It's never too late to mess things up. That's a little bit different, though, isn't it? Verses 9 to 10. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build up and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I'll relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, how's that for good news? That's really a pretty sobering thought and one we can't really afford to forget. Now, every great comeback story that you've ever heard in football, basketball, or baseball has something in common. You know what it is? On the flip side of every great comeback is a team that blew the lead and sometimes really blew a big lead. Maybe you recognize these pictures up here. Maybe some of you remember a few years back, it was Super Bowl 2008. The New England Patriots, led by Tom Brady, he's on your left side, 
had come to the championship of the Super Bowl, and they were undefeated. And they were expected to win the Super Bowl by at least two, maybe three touchdowns. Well, back then, the other guy on your right, Eli Manning, was considered somewhat of an underachiever. But he put together kind of the game of his life, and in the last 30 seconds, marched the Giants down the field to win. Now, what I'm saying is the Giants had a great comeback victory, but what about the Patriots? The Patriots came within 30 seconds of a perfect season, and they let it all slip away. That's also the sobering truth of Jeremiah 18. And the sobering truth is this, that you will never, ever, not me, not you, not anybody here, will you ever reach the place where you have arrived, where you can now suddenly coast to your victory. If you're not careful, you're going to succumb to what I would call the titanic fallacy. You recognize this picture? The titanic fallacy. Thinking that we are too big to fail. Now, the Titanic was touted to be unsinkable. And maybe the line, if you remember the movie, other than Leonardo DiCaprio and his girlfriend out there, you know, at, at the end of everybody, you know, life will go on or whatever that song was. There's another great line in that movie. And the movie was this, God himself could not sink this ship. I don't know if you remember who said that. Uh, history says it was made by the guy who actually built the boat. He said, God cannot sink this ship. As it turns out, God didn't sink it. A little itty-bitty iceberg did. And, and I, I see that, and I think to myself, the sobering truth is that you are never too big to fail. I mean, this has certainly played itself out in business in the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, who would have thought a number of years ago that Enron would go under? Who would have thought it would have happened to Lehman Brothers? I mean, as a book lover, I mean, who would have ever thought that Borders bookstores would disappear? I mean, you just never get to the point in your faith walk where you just kind of sit back and coast. The sad thing is that we also see this not in individuals' lives. We see it in churches. We see it in other ministries. Let me tell you another story. Uh, there, there was a, uh, a dangerous uh, sea coast out in the New England area where shipwrecks were pretty frequent. And a group of concerned citizens in that New England uh, town decided to build a rescue station. And they put up a little hut, and they had one little boat, and they devoted all of their time keeping watch over the sea, risking their lives, and rescuing as many people as they possibly could from the dangerous waters. Now, after a while, their little rescue station became somewhat famous, and more and more people wanted to become a part of this rescue mission. Uh, so money actually started coming in, and so they bought newer boats, bigger boats. They replaced the old emergency cots with, honest-to-goodness, modern hospital beds. They even tore down their cheap little hut, and they built a brand-new multi-purpose facility. Uh, the station soon became a very popular gathering place for all of its members. And as more and more people gathered here for all kinds of social events, fewer and few, fewer people were actually interested in going out to sea rescuing people anymore. But one day, a really big boat 
shipwrecked off the coast and boatloads of cold, wet people were brought into their brand new multi-purpose facility. Some of these people were sick. Some of them were pretty nasty, unsavory people. And all of them were out and out desperate. And as a result, their condition really upset a lot of the members of this place. They actually said, you know, if we allow our facilities to be overrun by these people, it will become run down and we'll be expected to pay for the repairs. So we're going to make a new rule. No more shipwrecked victims in our club. Now, some people actually protested. You know, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are first and foremost a life-saving station. We can't close our doors to the people who need us most. But you know what the leaders said? If you're not happy with the way we do things here, go start your own station down the coast. And so they did. Well, you probably recognize that story as being something that happens to churches. That little scenario is played out in a whole lot of churches and a whole lot of ministries. Sometimes they just drift out of existence. I was surprised to hear the other day of a church back in, in a circuit where I first pastored that closed last year because they went bankrupt. I was stunned. Concordia Loves Park. I was stunned that it was closed. It just drifted into nothingness. Now, sometimes because they fail, sometimes because they fizzle, but all too often it happens because they begin to think they have somehow arrived and they ultimately squander their future. But you know, it also happens in people's lives. I've seen it over and over. You have too. You've seen people's marriages that seemed rock solid suddenly sink. They get to the point where they kind of stand and they say, well, I'm unsinkable. Nothing can stop me now. Guess what? You're sinkable. Guess what? I'm sinkable. Guess what? All of us are sinkable. It can happen to any one of us. That's why Paul said, you see this verse here from 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands... Take heed, lest he fall. See, he's reminding us that it's never too late to mess up. Now, I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm not trying to scare you. But what I am saying is, folks, we need to be careful. In the same way that I would tell you to fasten your seatbelts when you get in your car, or to lock all the doors in your house before you take a trip, or to look both ways before you cross the street, I would tell you, be careful with your conduct. Don't try to coast. Take a good look at where you are today and ask yourself, where is this road leading me? Is it leading me to the cross Or is it leading me on a path that's not quite towards the cross or away from the cross? Be careful. Here's the third point. It's never too late to take responsibility for your life. I mean, that's what it really comes down to, being willing to take ownership of where you are, where you've been, where you are, where you're headed. 
Uh, that's why God again says to the prophet Jeremiah in verse 11, Return everyone from his evil ways and amend your ways and your deeds. Now, granted, the book of Jeremiah is basically addressed to a nation. Uh, a nation of Judah. It's a call for Judah to repent because they had fallen into sinful, uh, idolatrous behavior. Their nation was headed in the wrong direction. Their nation was headed towards certain destruction. Now, the tendency when this happens is to say, you know what? Things aren't the way they ought to be. Someone should do something. You know what that means? Someone should do something. You know how many times people have come in and told me about something going on in somebody else's lives, and then they look at me and they say, you know, Pastor... Someone ought to be doing something about this. You know what that means? Someone should be doing something. Someone else besides me. In fact, anybody else besides me. In fact, everybody else should be doing something about it except for me. That's what it means. Now, earlier I mentioned that some preachers are preaching about God's impending judgment on America. I've heard it. People say the United States, with everything that's going on in the last number of years, you know, it's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, we are going to get exactly what God wants to do. And they're preaching God's impending judgment on America. And I've heard preachers say, America needs to do this. America needs to do that. As if America was somehow one decision-making unit. Our country is not a one-decision-making unit. But friends, you can't, while well, you can't decide what America is going to do, I mean, you can't even decide what your neighbors are going to do. You can't even decide what your spouse is going to do. I mean, you really can't decide what your children are going to do. The only person that you really have any power over is you deciding what you are going to do. And you will ultimately be accountable for you, individually, what you do. That's why God says, so turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. He is not talking to some group here. He's speaking to individuals. He's saying, friends, you need to take responsibility for you. You need to take responsibility for your life. You need to take responsibility for what it is you do. And instead of seeking solace in that idea that I'll do right when everybody else does right, you need to be willing, every individual, to take a stand and say, I take responsibility for me. See, uh, Jeremiah... All we're coming back to all Jeremiah is really saying is that you're like clay. You're like clay in the potter's hand. And he's also saying that the future is like clay in your hands. You've got a, a big say about the direction that your life takes. Uh, your future is written in clay and not stone. Now, what Katie was sharing with the little ones before about baptism, that through baptism... What we believe is that the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and I like to refer to the Holy Spirit as the resident president. 
We got the Holy Spirit in us where we now have the power to do things. Now, a lot of us don't tap into that power. In fact, a lot of us would just assume sometimes the Holy Spirit be nowhere around so we can get away with doing A, B, C, and D. That's why sometimes it plagues us, it plagues us in our spirit later when we've done something because we feel it. We know we've done wrong. But see, as if you're a Christian, in fact, if you call yourself a Christ follower, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've got the Holy Spirit within you. You have the power within you to shape your life. Now, what's that called? I'll give you the church word. It's called sanctification. When you are made right with God through Jesus Christ, and you believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross, rose again for your sins, you are justified. When you believe that you are made right with God. And then what does God say? Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can clean up your act. That's what sanctification means. Clean up your act. You act differently. I always like the question they ask, you know, if they threw you in jail and brought you up to court and charged you with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Some of you would get off scot-free. Is there enough evidence? Do people look at you and see that you're different? Or do people look at you and, you, and, and say, you know, you don't act any different than anybody else I know. I mean, the world is doing A, B, and C. I see that you're doing A, B, and C. I haven't watched this show. I don't intend to watch this show. But I heard, I heard about a show that started somewhere around the first of the year about pastor's wives. Anybody ever hear of that one? Oh, my gosh. It's a bunch of pastor's wives who just act like, a bunch of wives who don't have anything to do with the church. They're the pastor's wife. They're the first lady of the church, like many of them call it. But guess what? Backbiting, gossipy, flirtatious with other people, wearing low-cut clothes, decorating themselves up so they look like hookers and street walkers. Something wrong with that picture if we are not drawing on the Spirit. See, just like in baseball, there's no, where no lead is safe, no loss is certain. You play until the final out. I mean, each and every day, in every way, that's kind of what we sang here before, Lord, take me, mold me, use me, fill me. I give my life, call me, guide me, lead me, walk. That's what the Spirit is calling us to do. You have to play until the final out. It's not too late to get in the game, and it's also not too late to lose the game. You know, that's the whole message of Jeremiah 18. I mean, you will never get to the point where what you do doesn't matter. Now, some people I know hear that word kind of as a threat. I hear them as a precious promise. And the precious promise is simply this. Every day is important. I don't know if that's why you chose that song, Glenn, or not. Today is the day. Every day is important. 
every day to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, is another way of saying, change me. Change me. See, every day you can move in the direction of God's blessing. Every day you can make changes on the mistakes of yesterday. Every day, through the power of the Spirit, you can take greater control of your life. Every day you can see more of the glory of God come alive. Jesus said, friends, it's not too late. Just play to the final out. Follow the Spirit's lead.